0: And welcome to episode 41 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound players with a head for the game. I am Freeloader, and with me, as always, is Subaiku and Thomas. Subaiku, how's it going tonight?
1: Fantastic. Thomas,
0: how are you doing? Pretty all right. Pretty all right. That's just like us. We are the Brood Sages. Easily the second best Stormbound-related podcast in production. And as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages on Twitter... Or for all of you who think Ferrari hit their pinnacle with the Testarossa, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. Guys, um, we have a really special episode today, Uh, something a little uh, new and fresh. Uh, You might know him as the number one player in the game from August. You might know him as the number one player in the game from July, Uh, or maybe even the number one player in the game from June. We have an interview with the one and only Stoney J. Let's get into it. And I am here with the current
2: three-time
0: Heroes League champion, the one, the only, Stony J. Stony J, thank you so much for joining me tonight, and welcome.
2: Ha, thanks, my pleasure. I'm glad to be here.
0: The honor is all on this end of the microphone, my friend. Um, we're going to dive into a lot of stuff if you don't mind. But first, let's let's try to uh, give our listeners a little bit of a background of you, your history in this game. How how long have you been playing Stormbound?
2: Uh, sure. Yeah. So I started playing a little over three years ago. Um, I just checked my uh, Game Center achievements on my phone just to see exactly when. But apparently I finished the tutorial in May of 2018. So, yeah, it's been at least three years. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's been quite the journey. Um, <laughs> quite the journey.
0: What made you pick the game up in the first place?
2: So I've always been a gamer. Um And before I picked up Stormbound, I was playing some League of Legends. And um, I don't know, eventually just got tired of it. Uh, The grind was too much, took up too much time. So I needed to transition to something a little bit more casual. um, But that was still kind of, I guess... uh, fulfill my craving for gaming. And um, so I went back to Congregate. It's a site that I used to go on as a kid and just randomly decided like, hey, let's see what's on Congregate these days. And um, came across Stormbound in the recommendations. And um, yeah, I was kind of like instantly hooked. Um, I liked the simplicity of the game, but it seemed to have um, a lot of in-depth strategy as well. And uh, I sensed that I was like pretty naturally good at it. Like I had a knack for the game, kind of understood how to win. So I just stuck with it, kept grinding. And then just enjoyed it more and more. Um, I liked the uh, the process of um, ranking up. Uh, yeah, it was just uh, I I feel like there's always like more to learn. Um, if any time someone beat me, I would try my best to analyze how and then fix that. So yeah, it's just been a uh, very mentally stimulating, which I enjoy. Dude, so so Congregate finally got it right. Yeah, they're, yeah they're, they're, finally. <laughs>
0: you'll like this game. Right. All right. Do you play any other games as well, or is this just kind of like you mainline Stormbound and this is it?
2: Uh yeah, I pretty much just play Stormbound. Um, but that's my approach with most games. Like when I was playing League of Legends, it was only League of Legends. Back in the day when I was playing Call of Duty, it was only Call of Duty. Um, mm. So yeah, it's kind of taking the same approach these days.
0: And within Stormbound,
2: um, do you consider yourself like a, a jack of all trades, or are you like a like a a Shadowfen main or something? I, I think I'm a jack of all trades. But when I really need to grind and like win games, I just go back to the Shadowfin hero deck uh, that I created in June. But um, I'd say for the most part, though, I am a jack of all trades. And uh, in my history through the game, I went through a lot of like many different strategies and phases. Like, I remember for a while, um, I was, uh, I used to just run a pirate deck uh like the, the pirates were some of the first level five cards i had so i was just trying to hit lucky charmers in the corner and just went off that on turn six and um that was like two years ago and then i remember finally getting like Merz was my first level four legendary so i was trying to make a lot of decks around that and it also kind of synergized with the pirates and the cycling so that was cool and then i became huh. winter once i got gifts of the wise and ulf um then i was spamming Eren for a while so i don't know yeah i've been through like different phases but a lot of different play Although I'd say in general I'm just more of a control player, like whether it's um Winter or Shadow Fan or Ironclad, I, I kind of like to stall out the games and just win off of value in the end.
0: I like how you don't mention Swarm. <laughs> 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 All right, so so from there, let's talk about the Heroes League. We we've we've had this uh a huge change to the game this year, brought in by Sheepyard. Um, how do you like the concept? Just not necessarily the implementation, but f- first off. Did you feel like this was something the game was missing? And are you thankful that it's here?
2: I did think it was missing, but um, I know there were some people that were calling for like, we need a rank system or something more like a Heroes League. I wasn't necessarily one of those people, although I am glad they did it. Uh, just because like now it's kind of one more um, achievement to reach. Like, can you reach rank, rank one? Um, whereas like reaching, like I guess before it was the, the most you could reach was Diamond one and then you couldn't drop below that. Um, which was cool, but it didn't give you a sense really of exactly how you lined up relative to other players. So. I do enjoy Mm -hmm. that aspect of the hero league in terms of it introducing an actual rank. And, um, yeah, I think GPR did a pretty good job. Uh, they've tweaked the matchmaking and I kind of like how the hero crown, the the crown system is set up now, um, with the cap on losses and gains and just their general formula. So, um, yeah, I I'd say overall, like I'm glad they added heroes league. Sweet.
0: And, uh, if there was anything that you wish uh, uh, they would change or anything you would tweak about it, what would that be?
2: Um, I don't really think this is this is something Sheepyard could do anything about, but the key times are quite long, and I think they just mm-hmm. like there just needs to be more heroes. Uh, there's not many people. Once you start reaching the ends of the season, and you know, I'm hitting like seventeen, eighteen hundred crowns uh there's not many people in that range like even in the top 10 if you go from one to 10 it's like a difference of 100 crowns then you go (sighs) from top 10 to like 20 it's like 100 um, like 100 more crowns so it's like right there the the player pool is very 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 small once you start reaching 17 1800 crowns uh so it makes sense that you know matchmaking takes a long time if there's only like 50 players that you can match with yeah that, that, that is a
0: little rough uh the 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 alternative to that though would be to increase the envelope that you could queue into and then the the damage done by a loss right you, yeah. you queue into somebody who's got much fewer crowns than you that's a that's a pretty anxiety inducing match right yeah
2: there. yeah it is and also i think it just uh i don't know it, i feel like it's unfair if you can just like farm people that are significantly worse uh, so, I, I kind of like that there's restrictions in terms of the range in which you, like the range of opponents you can encounter based on your ELO. But um, yeah, I, I think Storm or SheepRight is doing the best they can given the number of heroes and um, whatnot. But yeah, I think just maybe you need to do some more marketing and then the queue times will go away. Hopefully, that's all it takes. June. Yeah.
0: You finished Heroes League rank one. Correct. The top hero. That's right. <laughs> And you go home from that and you say, you know what I need to do in July? I need to prove it wasn't a fluke. And And then, then yeah, that's
2: exactly the feeling though. That's exactly the feeling. It's like you hit rank one once and then obviously there's going to be, uh, some people that you don't necessarily, like there's some people that I only face once a season and it could be a loss or a win, but it's never fulfilling to reach rank one. And then there's still someone in the top 10 that has beaten you like three out of the three times that you matched. Um, Mm. So there, it's partly that, and um,
0: yeah, yeah it's also you, you just came like, back in August and did it a third time in a row.
2: Like, how did you do that? You just, I, I'm just like trying to get the coin cap, and the elo is also going up. Um, I don't know, just win more than you lose, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: you, you Seibaku school of uh, playing Stormbound don't lose. So is that what's really yeah, driving don't it? Though, lose. is that you, you're, you're you're trying to hit the daily coin cap?
2: um i mean not really uh it's 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 actually too hard to hit the the coin cap um with the queue times in in heroes league and also just i i pay for premium pass so Mm. the 700 Mm -hmm. coin cap and yeah it's just that's hard to reach some days not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) but uh I do generally play in bursts. Uh, I I like to. I need to gain momentum when I play. I can't just play like a game here and there. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of need to get those stormbound juices flowing first. So, I if I play, I'm usually playing for like two hours. Now,
0: when we were uh uh getting everything set up and doing our mic check, you told me a very interesting fact about your uh rank one placements the last couple of months, and that is that despite finishing the season rank one. Uh, in neither of the last couple of seasons, you were never the maximum crown achiever during the month.
2: That's right. Yeah. So even though I, I did finish the season rank one, uh I for the last I, I don't remember if this was the case in June, but I know that in July and August, UZ ninety-three had reached he had broken nineteen hundred crowns. Uh, that's something I still haven't done. So in the last two seasons, UZ ninety-three was the highest at some point, like the highest ranked player and I never caught up to them. But and, and this happened in two seasons now. He was uh, he or she was ranked like one or two, but just ahead of me, whether I was like three, two or whatever. They were ahead of me and they would always just I would get right beneath them, like 10 crowns beneath. And then I knew that, that would that would trigger them into playing because they would get scared because I kind of feel the same pressure. Like if someone's creeping up on me, I'm watching the, hero, uh, the leaderboards on like, OK, if it gets within 10 or five, I got to queue up. Um, so I would do that and I would put pressure on Yuzi and they would queue up and then they'd lose. And I guess they would tilt because they wouldn't just drop to like second place or third place. I would see them at like seven, eight. Um, and so, yeah. And then the rest of the time, they're just trying to catch back up. And I'm just cruising at, you know, like 1860, 1870, whatever. I feel it's like a comfortable buffer and yeah, they just, they never climb back up. Um, so on the last day of the season, both in the last two seasons, I haven't played. I just watched the leaderboards. If they get with, if they get within 10, I'll play, but they haven't. And so I don't play.
0: So I know my name is Freeloader. So this would be perfectly on brand for me. Right. But I've, I've always had this dream. Of hosting a Twitch stream on the last night of the season, like the last six hours, and just spectate watching whoever in the top 10 is queuing up a match.
2: Yeah, that would be really cool. <laughs> it would be,
0: I mean, get the popcorn ready, right? Like yeah, that, no, those are some. Sure.
2: Um, the last couple of days of the season are very intense and you'll run into the same people. Cause it, there's a few people who kind of just accept their fate. Um, like, I feel like David EG is one of those people. He'll play a few games. He'll solidify his top 10 and then uh, that's it. Like I don't really see his score moving up or down that much. Um, but then there's people like, or for this season, at least uh, Lombardman comes to mind. Wong Y, mm-hmm. Mikel, they were moving in and out of top 10, like every day. Uh, and, I was just like, whoa, like these people are really like they're playing a lot of games. And on the last day or two when I was trying to climb, I was running into Lombardmen. Like I ran into him like at least five times, honestly. Uh, Oof. Yeah, five. but I, I won most of them, just saying. <laughs> but that's the key <laughs> to get number one in a season. You really just have to snipe uh, a, another top 10 player. You just, you, you figure out their deck and you just keep beating them. Um, and then you get your lead and you just hold it. You can't tilt. You can't, uh, like, you, you just got to hold your lead. Uh, even if that means stopping, like, not playing anymore. Uh, so, yeah, there's, like, it, it's an interesting game. It's it's a game within a game, you know? Like, like uh,
0: that's playing the what rankings. what meta means.
2: Yep, yeah, that's what meta means. Yeah.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, uh, changing your play rates here. Do you feel like, overall, you play... Like, how much do you play in a month? And, do you, and and has that been going up or down since you've uh, started uh, uh, competing in the Heroes League?
2: I actually, I feel like my play rate has gone down. Only because before Heroes League, I used to have no problem just spamming games uh, just to reach coin cap. But now that there's a Heroes League, every especially as it... Um, nears the end of the season every game feels like it counts and there are times where I get nervous before I queue and that used to never happen until Heroes League like Heroes League made the game like way more serious for me um and sometimes it's in my best interest not to play like if I think I have a solid lead um in terms of the crowns then I just won't play whereas if it wasn't Heroes League like duh I would play because I just you know want to play I like the game want to have fun want to get some coins but now that there's this thing of like me trying to reach rank one i have to play the game within the game and sometimes that makes me play less huh. but not not significantly less i'm talking like the, like the last week or so is when i really have to start playing this game of like do i really want to play right now or not um just sure. to try to get my score into the right r- spot at the right time i guess
0: right or apply pressure to the yeah exactly to, exactly yeah, to motivate yeah the mind games right yes <laughs> <laughs> But let, let, let's talk about how you approach these seasons now, right? I mean, like, do you, do you start the beginning of the next season just kind of jamming the same deck as the last? Or do you find that the balance changes that get introduced on day one are forcing you to tweak decks or anticipate meta changes? Like, how do you how do you start a season?
2: I usually start with um, something that is tried and true. Uh, I don't know, like, Zuri Bucks is pretty known to just work generally now, so I'll... I'll go with something mm-hmm. that doesn't have, um, that kind of have its own, it, it's, it's not so much a reactive playstyle, but a but a, like, do your own thing. Like, the deck has a defined goal, and you can just do it, like, regardless of what your opponent is doing. Um, whereas, um, I have some more, like, my fan Hero deck, for example, I feel like that one is more of a, more based on countering what your opponent is doing, instead of, like, having a clear, defined strategy for itself. I mean, I'm always trying to hit um Rain of Frauds and Klaxi on, on turn 10. But besides that, I'm very much basing what I play based on how my opponent is playing. Whereas um, to start the season off, I'm usually either trying some new stuff or just going with something that I know is tried and true and can get me into like, at least like 1,500, 1,600 crowns. Um, but after that point when I really want to like push ahead and pull away, uh, I have to start running more advanced decks that are more counters to what I'm seeing in the meta or countering specific players.
0: So is is that why you kind of go for a more solitaire deck to start, is because you want to get a feel for what the meta is before you start trying to counter it?
2: Yeah, well, so at the beginning of the season, I really just want to have fun as long as like, you know, there's not so much pressure to rank up. You still have the whole month ahead of you. Um, So yeah, I'll use like the first couple of weeks to try new decks. And um, then when I want to start climbing, I switch to something that I know works, but won't necessarily get me all the way to the top. But just something that I can win consistently and quickly with, and then... Once I start running into the same handful of players, that's when I then know I can use the decks that are just meant to counter those players. Uh, mm. And then I just start running with that. Gotcha. Do,
0: do you feel like there's enough opportunity in a season to experiment?
2: Yeah, it's pretty much. I pretty much only experiment the first two weeks or three weeks. Um, Any experimentation after that is like, I already have a deck and I know it works. And then I'm either swapping out like, I'm putting in a Hunter's Vengeance or a Siege Breakers or just something to, like, tech cards. At the end of the season, the only thing I'm switching out is tech cards. And that's just to counter whatever the meta is at that time. Yeah, but, but I want
0: to go back for a moment because cause I want to make sure I heard you right. Do you say that you managed to experiment for the first two weeks of a season and still achieve rank one?
2: Well, I mean, yeah. like uh, Really? It, I feel like it doesn't take uh, that much to climb. I mean... If you're beating people that are higher or low than you, you you'll you get, like, 12 to 15 crowns. You go on a win streak of, like, three games in a row, you could net, like, 35 crowns. You do that three days in a row, and you're up 100 crowns. Um, let's say, uh, like, by the end of the two weeks, let's say I'm, like, at 1,500. Um, at that point, yeah, it's, like, the the rest, like, the final two weeks is enough to, to climb. But it also just kind of depends on where, where my, like, whoever is in the lead is at, like, there's a, the scores get higher as the season goes. It's not like... Like right now, if you check the leaderboard, the max score is probably around 14, like 13 or 14. Sure, but then at sure. the end of the season, it'll get up to 18. So as long as I'm just kind of like within 200 crowns of... Like 200, 300 crowns of the max score, like I know I'm okay. All right.
0: And and let's let's uh, let's bring it all the way down to the fundamentals. How do you go about building a deck? Like like walk us through the Stony J has an idea. For something he think is he thinks is new and is going to win right. how do you go about doing that
2: okay so if i want to make a fun deck i'll start with a card or a specific combo that i want to work um mm-hmm. and like one of the things was armed schemers uh, last season is like i just i really want to make a deck with armed schemers and so then from there okay armed schemers is ironclad and then i'm thinking okay and then each faction has its like core cards that you'll pretty much always use and for Ironclad, that's green prototypes destructo bots linked golems and if you're going the structure route upgrade point and probably true shot post um either true shot post or siege assembly but i think true shot post is more consistent mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so true shot post mia and yeah that's already like six cards gp destructo bots linked golems mia upgrade point true shot post yeah that's six cards right there Plus Arms Arms Gamers, Gamers. that's seven yep and then the rest is pretty much just kind of fitting like your play style and what you think your opponents are mainly running so if you need a lighter deck you'll probably throw in um gifted recruits uh saber paws and green gale maybe n- yeah you know and that's like like then you have like four mana or four two mana drops at that point um if you want to go a little heavier maybe you put in um what's that five mana construct uh debug loggers debug loggers yep. that, yeah um a Loris, or just you know, something, but you start with the core and then you kind of just put in cards that either fit your playstyle or you feel comfortable countering whatever the prevalent playstyle or meta is at this time. Hmm. So, you start if you want to make a fun deck, you start with a card, then you like start with the core that you know it works, build around it, and then try to bridge the gap with some tech cards or some other things. And just at the end of it, make sure your mana curve is pretty good. Um, and if you play a lot, you kind of know what a, a good manicure feels like. And, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it.
0: So you, you experimented with arm schemers last month. Was there any particular reason why?
2: Uh, yeah, I ran into this player Protestination that was using it and they killed me with it. Like they, it was totally <laughs> no. unexpected. I was like, okay, like I'm stealing this. So duh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's basically it. Uh, yeah, that's how I came up with the, with the Klaxi deck as well. The one that I've been using for rank one three times in a row. It was mm-hmm. originally a Brogda deck, and I just had copied that from, I think, Iki or Oani, someone that plays Shadowfun a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I just copied that deck and then ran it to someone that was running Klaxi, and it completely obliter- obliterated my Brogda combo. Because I had played Brogda, you know, got everyone to 10 strength, and then they dropped the Klaxi, and then all those <laughs> 10 strength units that I had were now their 10 strength units uh so yeah that was terrible and after that i was like okay claxi is just better i'm just running claxi so oh you don't run Bragdad at all in the deck nah i can't i just i'm not good with that card i've come to terms wow. with that uh <laughs> yeah there are just some cards or play playstyles styles that i just can't do at this at this high level that i'm used to so yeah uh you so yeah a lot of my decks are inspired just by ripping off people's ideas like if i see something unique i'm like okay i'll take that concept and then i'll do something with it but um yeah it's just a lot of inspiration from other other heroes so what's your favorite card right now or um
0: let's let's keep it more more recent so what what is your favorite card that Sheepyards introduced or changed like like what in the last year would you say oh this is the best thing to either be tweaked within the game or introduced to the game
2: Although it's not a very flashy card, I really, really like Laura's. I feel like that card is what wins me games, honestly. Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, they people try to set up that nice... like They'll, they'll get their mid-game going, they want their combos going, so they'll have some units on the board. And then you just send that like six or a seven strength unit into the other one and clears the board and you're left with like an eight or nine ten strength unit it's just uh it's too good it like takes out two units and leaves you with one and I feel like in most decks is that's pretty much what i try to do i I try to include cards that can get me like a two or three for one like I'm sure, playing one sure. card and I'm taking out two of yours or three of yours that's why I really like hunter's vengeance that's why I really like toad that's why I really like witches It's that they can deal with multiple units at once, and so that also then enables you to have a a higher a higher curve deck because you don't need a bunch of two and three drops if your four and five drops can do the job of two two or three drops if that makes sense there's a lot of no there. It,
0: it, it does yeah yeah uh do, do you find that uh because you play shadow fen and people tend to want to play around witches and and Toxac, uh do you find that they play into loris more as a shadow fan
2: player yeah it's so the nice thing about shadow fan is that you can kind of force people into a bad situation. Um, whether that's by using rain of frogs and then you know you have two frogs that spawn to each other and then everyone's frantic to uh, kill the frog. so they'll kill two, but end up with two units right next to each other, and then I use Loris and I c- clear them. Um, and then if they're scared of Loris, they'll put the units like diagonally or, or spaced apart and then it's good for witches because uh, right. i can just put it right in the gap um so yeah i'd say the people that do best against me um they watch out for my my mana four turn so if you start off with a, a one movement unit on turn three you know let's mm-hmm. say uh, gifted recruits or green prototypes or whatever And then i play toad on the in the same column on the next turn my toad will consume that unit and usually people don't have can't play the two units on the next turn to do enough damage to the toad to stop it so what people have learned to do against me like the higher level players is that they'll sacrifice the movement like they won't in that first turn or two they won't enable me to get the the toad proc or just like get some of my nicer combos off so it just throws me off a little bit because. I'm trying to do it, so I'm cycling for it, and then they thwart me, so I have to like, re- like recycle the cards, and it just kind of throws me off. Um, but I feel like that's, that's, that's kind of what this game is about, I feel like, is you have to n- know what your opponent is going for, and as best you can, thwart them while still doing your own thing, like still setting up your own combo. Um, and obviously that's easier said than done, but I feel like the more you play and the more decks you encounter and play, you start understanding that there's kind of a limited number of strategies that are really effective that you really have to watch out for, and I think once you start watching out for those, that's what makes you really good.
0: Awesome. Well, I guess um, we're gonna leave it there. I guess we'll we'll, we'll end with one last question. Sure. Are you having fun? You're, uh, you're on top <laughs> of the world right now. Is this is this? Are are you stressing out? Are you are you burnt out? Or is this still feeling fun and fresh and and something you enjoy doing?
2: Uh, still feels fun. Still feels fresh. I I mean, I just enjoy the game, and I play it because I enjoy it. And I guess I have a good enough win rate to just the crowns keep going up. Uh, so was, I'm I'm not like <laughs> like trying specifically to reach rank one. It just kind of happens, and then I realize I'm in the position to do it. Like the last week or so, and that's when I really start playing the like the meta game within the game, and like trying to scare people into playing or like holding or off playing or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's still. The game is fun. I mean, they're introducing new cards at a pretty healthy rate. Um, A lot of the new cards are interesting. And I can't wait to level them up during the anniversary. So hopefully then I can start experimenting a lot more. Um, Yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Oh, dear. Help us all. Stony (laughs) J is experimenting again, folks. All right. Well, Stony J, thank you so much for the interview tonight. Congratulations on three straight uh, number one finishes. And uh, best of luck to you. Try to avoid me on ladder if you can, would you? Well, that was incredibly insightful. Uh, What a a, a fun interview that was to do. And and again, thank you to Stony J for giving us the time. Um, I also want to take this moment so that our listeners can appreciate just the sort of professional level program we are running here. Uh, Our outline for this has exactly the right bullet at this point. Uh,
3: We are about to give you our BS reactions
0: to that interview.
3: (laughs) Thomas, what did you think? I thought he was absolutely spot on for pretty much the entire thing. I didn't even have anything else to um, expand upon. I guess the only... Well, I, I technically one thing the only thing to expand upon was the couple times that i've been number one on the leaderboard and someone's coming up right behind me get super nervous start queuing and yeah just tanking right down the list all the way to the bottom (laughs) did that more than once and so yep i I get where sitting in the that first place gets you into that hot seat
1: It takes a lot of restraint to not queue up and play. It's very impressive that he's he's got that level of awareness. Like, no, no, this is when I should be playing. This is when I should not be playing. Like, let's just hold on to the lead and let everybody else try to catch up and hope that they fail. Well, yeah, absolutely.
0: He also talked about being super familiar with all the other decks that he's queuing into. Right, like he he could tell you right away not only what decks they were playing, but how often and when, what time day. He expected to queue into the other top 10s. That's a huge advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Being able to track when the other players are playing and what they're playing so you know how to queue up against them is really a, a very important consideration that maybe wasn't there in the past but now that the matchmaking is seems to be a little more limited especially at the top of the of the leaderboard you know once you get in the high crown level you're only playing those other top 10 top 20 players it seems like so, so
3: actually i um i think um sheepyard has changed their uh, matchmaking again a little bit this month because so i've been queuing uh, into the game a lot to try and get up to a uh, first place for the very first time ever uh had a little bit of motivation uh after uh here in stony J. <laughs> and um so for this month it seems like um the pairing gets wider and wider and wider the longer you queue. And uh, this month I've actually been queuing, even though I've got like 1,600 points now, I'm still queuing into people in the low 1,400s uh, if I just literally sit there and wait for five to, to six minutes for it to, to queue before it kicks me off because I can't find anybody.
0: Hmm. So you think they're they're rebroadening to try to get uh, uh, matches connected?
3: With how good that Sheepyard has been doing the tweaks for like buffs and nerfs, I have um, absolute faith that they just keep slightly uh, tweaking the, cha- uh, the matchmaking to make something that works.
1: Hmm, interesting yeah so you're not really getting the same effect anymore of when uh, you know Joshua was uh, hitting uh, 5555 crowns by hitting a lot of diamond players Um, they're keeping that out of it at least
3: (laughs) Yep. but yeah so I I think it's basically like if there's somebody that's really close to my rank I'm going to immediately queue into them and then after like a minute uh, passes then maybe somebody that's 50 points away from me and then after two minutes passes a points away so on and so forth down the line to just keep broadening that range
0: gosh i wonder how long you'd have to wait before you queued into me (laughs) (laughs) i don't think ever because you're still in diamond right uh it it, it is possible that i'm still in diamond yes
1: it's still early in the month you got plenty of time. (laughs) yeah
3: exactly last month i didn't join uh heroes until like three days before
1: i i i do have
0: to say one of the things that i was most astounded by in the interview though was that Stony J says he experiments with decks for two whole weeks before he quote unquote gets serious about hitting the leaderboard? That
3: is
1: impressive. Yeah. That is so I much. Say, dedication. Uh, his experiments are definitely going better than mine. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> if he's still climbing. <laughs>
3: Well, and I don't know if you've ever really watched him on the leaderboard because I've got my eyes on the top players a lot of the times too. And he's just, yeah, he does exactly what he says where he's just hanging around the top. Like, well, I mean, his decks are always so good that he's always just hanging around the top 50, even when he's totally just messing around with something. But then yeah, suddenly he gets into overdrive and he's just there.
0: (laughs) But that, that helps with mental exhaustion, right? Like I, 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 Always go back to bike race as a metaphor for a season of a card game, uh, and not because of the physical requirements, but because of the mental requirements. If you watch a bike race, the leader, the yellow jersey, wear whatever uh, a, a tour, uh, you know, tour stop this is, they're not in front; they're in the pack. They're drafting. They're staying close enough that they're within striking range, but they're not taxing themselves until the very last mile. Right? It's it, it's not about who's ahead for the longest in the race. It's who's ahead at the end of the month. (laughs)
3: Well, to a certain extent, um, I would say that's the case here. As long as those number one players are constantly queuing, then they'll be just fine because they still see how the meta evolves over the course of the month. It's when somebody gets to first place, even if they get really far ahead and they quit playing for two or three weeks and then somebody um, figures out that new meta because with Heroes League, the meta is changing constantly. And so um, someone sees the meta change, they start ranking up get close to that first place person that first place person because they haven't played two or three weeks has no clue what's going on the meta their deck may be trash now and that's how they're um getting tanked
0: oh that's brutal Mm -hmm.
3: yeah so slow
0: and steady rather than an early sprint is going to win the race almost every time because of that
3: yeah absolutely
0: And that's exactly what he's doing all right i want to transition from here to Stony j talked a bit about how he builds a deck And I thought that that would make for a wonderful uh, conversation that we could expand upon and maybe help some of our listeners in their quest to uh, do some homebrews and whatnot. Um, So let's start with you, Subaika. You've built a couple of decks in your day, I know, because you've shared them with me. And usually, I'm sad to admit it, they're better than the ones that I make. What, um? how do you go about, like, walk me through the steps of like, what Q&A do you do in your own mind as you build a, a
1: deck? So number one is just, what's the goal? What do I want to do with this deck? Do I want to just try to make a, a rush deck for a faction that doesn't usually have it like winter? That was a my goal with the last one that I built and had success with? Or is it like Stony J said, I just want to take a particular card and try it out like Armed Schemers. What am I trying to do with this deck? That's the number one question. Because that feeds into question number two which is, how am I trying to win a game? What is the win condition for this deck? Is it jam a big hearth guards into the base or butchers and rain is a fun combo? Um, Or am I trying to just grind it out and win with uh, big constructs <clears throat> and then that really naturally leads into what faction does that fit in if i haven't already answered that with the first couple of questions then where am i going to put this what faction has the best supporting cards for it you know if my win condition is siren and tigor over the course of a game i can put that into pretty much anything so it, it doesn't necessarily limit what i'm doing um and then that's that's kind of just all ahead of time, like like what am I going to build this deck around? Uh, and then I have to figure out what what is, are these cards that are core? Like Stony J said, there's going to be probably four, five, six, seven, eight cards that are just integral to the deck and I need to have in there um, part of the combo or just really good supporting cards, right? If I'm building a deck around Butchers and Reign of Frogs, maybe I want to have Azure Hatcher in there as a supporting card, right? Uh, And then what are other strong faction cards that are a good fit? And then how can I fill up the curve with just generally useful neutral cards? You know, always go back to the guns. I'm going to probably put prototypes and gifted recruits in every deck Not because they're core to the deck, but because they're just generally useful cards.
0: Yeah, Thomas. uh, uh, Stoney said that you know when he starts to think about it, there's usually about six to seven cards that are kind of before you even really get into it. That's that's going to be sort of the 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 core, Uh, and then from there. yeah, does that sound about right to you? Do, do, and 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 more importantly, does then does that sound about right in your experience? Do you think that's actually right? Like is is that for building a deck is that too standardized? So everything is going to be the same-ish on ladder or do you think that that's still a good amount of flexibility in how you might, you know, change it up to make it your own?
3: Well, so I think the 6 to 7 is more of um what's going to happen if you're looking for a theme or specific purpose for your deck. If you're looking for a generally good deck, you're probably or like a, well, so don't take my advice because my advice usually ends up being uh, when you're going to build the deck, you just sort your cards, lowest mana cost to highest mana cost. And you just start grabbing the the first two pages and you just throw them <laughs> onto the, into the deck.
0: <laughs> wait, wait, I'm sorry. I, I just want to clarify. Are you suggesting to our listeners that they lower their mana curve and add
3: a finisher? <laughs> You don't even need a finisher when you've just got a lower mana curve.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> but no, no, that is the wrong advice. Um, so generally, at least what I've been doing, because I mean, uh, what Subiqu has been saying for kind of that that main theme um, to do is is very good advice. Uh, and so the only other kind of um, advice that I would give is when building a deck that you find to be solid. Um, take a look at how many of your factional cards that you have versus all your neutrals. And then when you're looking at those factional ones, if you removed those factional ones and you were able to replace a different faction's best cards in those same exact slots, would that other faction give you uh, just an overall better deck? And I've seen that many times where... I've got some um, mid-range Swarm deck or mid-range uh, Winter deck. And it's like, well, this would have just been better if I would have just been doing this with Shadowfen. So I'm doing Shadowfen Fen. better with month. Shadowfen, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a few months ago when it was Ironclad. And it's like, yeah, Ironclad's <laughs> cards are just straight up better in these same exact slots. So I'm just going to run that instead.
0: All right, that's fair. Yeah. No, I, that, I, I actually... And, and that's probably even better advice to players who have varying card levels in their library. Um, it might make it a more complicated analysis, but it's probably a good idea for them to actually take the step back. And yeah, you saw this as a winter deck or as an ironclad deck. Take the cards that you're interested in playing from there. If they are mostly neutrals that you want to play, then reanalyze based against your library. You know, you have a couple level fours in Swarm, maybe try to fit it there.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point because everybody's collection is different. Most people do not have a fully maxed collection. So, you know, what works for one player may not work for you just because your levels are different. Mm -hmm. And that does, like you said, complicate the analysis, right? Oh, I really want to play an Ironclad structure deck, um, but my Mia's level two, you know, like is that is that really going to work for me well it's going to make it harder you can probably make it work but you probably can't play it in the heroes league at you know, if you're shooting for that top 50, top 20, top 10.
0: But if, you're, if your winter cards are good enough, for example, I have seen several winter decks that have high level gift, you know, level three or four, uh, be able to stick in the mid game a true shot post. And so if what you really want to be able to do is play like a controlling tower deck and you don't have the Mia to get that early combo, maybe trying to make it work in the mid to late game and go winter
1: Sure, True Shot, True Shot, blessed with brawn, right? Oh
0: gosh, <laughs> no. the plague of no. gold players no. everywhere.
1: No, no, <laughs> no.
0: no. <laughs> um, the next thing that Stony talked about that is applicable to this that I wanted to get into was the idea of teching uh, and and analyzing the meta, analyzing what you're playing into, and figuring out how to adjust the deck to make it more efficient. At its win rate into the next ten to twenty games you're going to play, uh, uh, Thomas. I'll start with you this time. What do you? How do you go about teching a deck?
3: Unfortunately, I'm really bad at it. So <laughs> it is something that I am like actively trying to improve. But when I start losing with a deck. I end up uh, get tilting too much, and I dismantle it and, and move on to the next thing. But what I really need to be doing, and there's been countless players in Discord that say, remove one card, add in one other card, and keep trying it. And if that doesn't feel right, then, then go towards that next tech card, rather than dismantling it, because... You originally put it together for a reason. It, it does have legs. It just needs to be tweaked a little bit. So I'm actively trying to work on undoing that.
0: Yeah, Subaiku, uh, uh, there's a concern sometimes though that, that when you go to Tekka deck, You're really trying to win the battle you just fought, as opposed to the next battles you're going to see. That's
1: a really good point. It's very tough to look at a loss and say, did I lose this just because my deck is weak against this? Or did I lose this because I don't have the right card for that matchup? Did I lose this because my opponent played structures and I don't think Siege Breakers is a card I want to have in my deck? Um, You know, it's very easy to put in a tech card like, for example, Siege Breakers or Beasts of Terror, like, you know, I'm just I'm losing to structures, I just want to have an anti structure card, or I'm losing to uh, Queen of Herds, Seder Spam, and I just really want to be able to deal with all of those satyrs on the board. Um, But that's kind of, like you said, fighting the battle that you just lost, you don't want to do that, you want to be proactive and think, ...flexibly about it. Is this card going to be useful in any other situation? And a lot of time the answer to that is no. Beast of Terror is just not a particularly useful card... ...unless you happen to also be running like a ton of Dragon Synergy or whatever. Yeah. For me... It's I, I tend to think about what is the deck weak to and is that something I want to say I'm playing Shadowfen, right? Uh, I have Witches. I have Toxac. They're great against Eunice. They're terrible against buildings. Do I want to shore up my weakness against structures by putting in Siege Breakers or do I just want to accept the fact that, look, if my opponent is playing a structure heavy deck, I just am probably not going to win that game and I'll shore up my deck in an area or I'll, I'll play into the strengths of my deck and just make it stronger in the matchup that it's already good in. So, you know, maybe I'll, I'll throw in Hunter's vengeance instead and say, you know what? I'm just going all in on, on anti-unit synergy and just accepting that if my opponent plays a lot of structures, I'm, I'm losing and that's fine. That is a very good point.
0: I think, People generally tend to fall towards very specific, I want to get rid of that thing tech cards. So example uh, being, well, I'm seeing too many towers. Give me Siege Breakers. Azure Hatcher is a fantastic anti-true shot post card that I think a lot of people sleep on. And so what do you think about the idea that tech cards don't necessarily have to be the card that gets rid of the problem? It can be the card that simply makes the problem
3: not a problem. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't think about that at all. Uh, The other thing I wanted to comment um, to your guys' already comments (laughs) is that if you already have a good win rate, even if it's frustrating to play against the thing, if you have a good win rate against the thing, don't... Put a tech card in against it because that means that you're reducing your win rate against other things that may be more important to just increase your win rate against something that you were already going to have a good win rate against anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's like why why do that unnecessary? So like let's say you have a 75% win rate against structures, and now with siege breakers you got 100%. But in order to get to that 100%, you had a 60% win rate against. Shadowfen mid-range, and now you're down to like a 10%. Why would you go from... Uh, two good positions to a great position and a terrible position. Keep the two good positions. And I think there are a lot of people that are, yeah, throwing in these tech cards when they weren't needed in the first place at all, because your overall core, your deck was already very good.
1: But I lose some of my games and that's unacceptable. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. I want to win all of them.
3: Yes, this is true.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you're you're absolutely right. Like you just have to think about it in the sense of where am I winning, where am I losing, and just kind of keep mental track of that as you're playing and testing out the deck. Uh, it's not easy, and you know, especially if you're a player that only plays a few games a day, which you know a lot of the time is us. Um, it, it's hard to keep track of it over the course of a week. Uh, Take notes, man. Your phone has a notes app or you got a pen and paper.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I actually, um, uh, uh, and actually both of you would know this. I I actually like to uh, make a channel in a Discord server that just, I screenshot the result of every single game for my climb, Um, in part because it allows for some social interaction with uh, other members of the Discord server to get their take on what's going on. And people will ask me, oh, I see you're playing X, Y, or Z. Is that working out? Why aren't you doing something smart? Harder than that. Um, usually, the answer is because I'm dumb.
1: Uh, <laughs> I didn't brutal. think of it. Is a very good answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and you know. Uh, Screenshotting every game is definitely one way to do it. Uh, you did do that for a couple of months in a row. And I do think it helped as you were tracking your win rate and you were feeling, um, oh, man, this deck isn't really working the way that I want it to. But it turns out it it was doing well enough. You know, still a positive win rate. Yep.
3: Also, yeah, um, another or just to, to butt in real fast, another reason to do that is for your own mental sanity. You win a lot more than you think you do, and this goes to all the listeners. You win a lot more than you think you do, You, but because you hyper-focus on your losses, uh, you feel like you're just constantly losing. But if you are actually tracking your progress and you actually take a look at your historical win rate, you're like, huh, that's not so bad, actually. <laughs>
1: I think maybe that's just a you thing. <laughs> I do not win that much. <laughs> well,
0: but the other thing that it did allow me to do, Thomas, was uh, when I put in a card, uh, for example, I put a needle blast into my Shadowfen deck. Um, I did so because I accidentally leveled it up to level five. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I accidentally, I thought I was buying a copy in the in the. <laughs> In the store and instead I clicked on level up. Um it's fine. You weren't gonna use those hundred fusion yeah, stones for oh anything. Gosh, else. It was more it was like hundred and seventy fusion stones. It was really oh. Um uh, but then I put it in and uh because it was in the deck and I was taking screenshots, I was paying attention to how often I was actually using the card. And it allowed me to kind of play test it and and, and recognize that sure, it won some games because it felt great when it was working. but I, But until I actually could go back and scroll through and look and see how little I was actually using it and recognizing that I was playing it, maybe two out of 10 games, right? And so it felt like it was winning me games, but it was being used so little of the time, even if it was winning me those games, it's irrelevant to the overall win rate.
1: Right. It turns out any other card probably would have won you those games also, just by virtue of being in your deck and getting played.
0: Right, exactly. And not be cycled so often because in all likelihood I wasn't putting in another six mana card.
1: Yeah, you know, that's it's one of those cards that you think that your win rate is really high with it because every time you play it, you win. But that's because... If it does not win the game, you're throwing it away. Because it's
3: totally useless. <laughs> cough, Forgotten Souls,
1: cough. <laughs> exactly. you know, Forgotten Souls is, is a great example. My win rate when I play Forgotten Souls is through the roof. Mm-hmm. Because if it does not win me the game on that turn, I'm probably throwing it out of my hand. <laughs> You know, sometimes you use it for a base lock, so you win next turn. Like that's about the best thing I can say there. Mm -hmm. Yep, Um, it's an amazing card. I would absolutely suggest that you include it in every swarm deck that you have. uh, But you're throwing it out of your hand every single time, unless it's winning you that turn.
0: Those are the fun statistics in like every game, right? Is uh, the win rate when played for Forgotten Souls or, or Herald's Him? 100% 100% basically, like round up, you know, uh, the, the win rate for inclusion in your deck of gifted recruits is exactly 50%. I guarantee because <laughs> everybody's playing it and there's one winner and one loser for every game, guaranteed it's 50%. Um, I want to go back to one last little thing about uh, uh, talking with Stony J, because I think it's an important way to think about teching. He talked about early in the month playing basically a solitaire style deck, something that doesn't counter anything, it's just it does what it does and it tries to win and it ignores what you're doing. He's a control player at heart, as he said, and he says that you hit a ceiling if you're not trying to interact against your opponent. You you get to a point where you can't climb any further because you have to actually interact with what they're doing and trying to disrupt it. But the examples that he gave of it weren't necessarily trying to disrupt with actual tech cards, he's playing a controlling style deck with witches and loris and, and, and all the rest of that, um, or armed schemers, bless his heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, but is there a danger in trying to swing too far to the, now I'm going to react to everything out there kind of a thing? Like, like, how do you find that that sweet spot?
1: Usually that sweet spot is called Siren of the Seas. right <laughs> 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 Yeah, well, I mean, look, that's why it's such a good card in a control deck, because it is a flexible tool that you can use to control the board and remove multiple units, remove large units, or you can send it into the base and win, right? Same with Ulf in a lot of heavy winter decks. Mm, it's, mm. it's 12 damage to the base, or it clears some units and gives you some healing and uh, helps you to win the game that, or, or extend the game that way. I should say. So uh, finding those tools that are flexible, that can be used for controlling as well as winning is really critical because you're right. If you're just sitting there playing Hunter's Vengeance and Void Surgers every turn, yeah, your opponent's not winning the game, but neither are you. And eventually they're going to get to the point where they have enough mana that they can move down the board and chippy down. You're going to lose in the long run.
0: I mean, in a way, if you're playing Hunter's Vengeance and Void Surgers, aren't we all losing? Look, I play I play rush <laughs> decks.
1: I don't even know how to play those two cards. <laughs> The only reason I know that they exist is because they get used against me. <laughs> I feel that.
0: <laughs> oh gosh.
1: Um yeah, it's you're right. You can't just you can't just sit there with reactive cards in your deck. We've seen that time and time again that the best decks in the Heroes League are the ones that are flexible mm. and that allow you to kind of play offense or play defense as the situation calls for. And I think that's what separates really the great players from the ones that are in the middle of the pack, even in the Heroes League. Um, The great players are ones that understand when it is time to interact with my opponent's board and when it's time to apply pressure and just kind of uh, figure out the flow of the game as opposed to um, just doing what... Well, these are the cards that I have, so I'm just going to play them and hope for the best.
0: All right, Thomas, you're 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 the perfect person to ask this question. How often do you find yourself paying more attention to how do I disrupt what my opponent is trying to do versus uh, these are the cards that would win you know, that 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 apply the most pressure? Like like, would you say that's in every term analy- Every turn analysis, or are there specific turns you feel like require more of that sort of attention?
3: Um, there's definitely more turns that require it than others and right now I've just been playing uh, swarm aggro so I'm I'm gonna just use that as my analogy because it's kind of my always go-to anyway Um, (laughs) where against swarm aggro mirrors you're going to want to try and um, you want to actually watch them every single turn and in general I found my win rate to be a little bit higher when I end up trying to be a little bit more defensive against them because I'm more likely to have uh, more units on the board after the fact if I'm trying to um, play defensively and not even necessarily um, like specific defensively I not taking any damage I actually literally try and let some damage through to my base. To then be able to, uh, or sorry, I try and go after the things that aren't going to be going into my base the next turn so that I've got more power on board than my opponent, and that's going to be how I'm going to then overrun them over the course of the game, then. Hmm. And so. There's there's so many specific um, analyses analyses analyses. analyses. How you say that word? Analyses <laughs> to uh, all the different types of decks and all the different styles of variations, but um, because I have played so many thousands of uh, swarm rush games over the years uh, since the beginning of my playing that I know that one very intimately and that I can say uh, for sure is what you want to do when you're in a swarm rush mirror. Huh. So, so Mike Tyson, the famous philosopher
0: said that everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. And Thomas is here saying, no, 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 my plan is to get hit in the mouth. <laughs> no,
1: but that's a good point. It it's really, Easy to lose track of your plan the moment you see some damage coming in and you get scared and you say, you know what, no, I can't, I can't take this damage. But your base health is a resource. Sometimes you can, sometimes you need to deny their front and just kind of like understanding what you're up against and understanding what they're trying to do makes a big difference.
3: Well, and then, yeah, the other thing, I guess, uh, now that I had a couple more seconds to process it, how many games would you have been able to win if instead of playing defense and trying to clear your opponent's stuff, you just take a a split second to be like, all right, well, how much potential damage could you do to me on your next turn? Oh, I could, like, even with, like, your best cards in your deck, I still am going to be at two health. Well, if instead of playing defense and trying to clear all your stuff, I put all my stuff on your baseline and you basically can't clear that except for one tech card that you probably don't have, I should just do that play instead because that is a guaranteed win for me instead. So go that more aggressive route.
0: Yeah, so Baiku and I have used a term uh, when we have streamed together over the years, both in Stormbound and Hearthstone, and that is make them have it. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. If you're going to lose to void searchers for example but you don't even know if it's in his deck or maybe you've seen it before but it's unlikely to be back in his hand make make your opponent have it say yeah i'm going to lose if you have this card but chances are you don't have it either in your deck or in your hand at this particular time so i'm gonna i'm gonna make the play as though you don't have it and if you do have the answer then good for you and if not i'm just going to win that sounds like uh, either you stole that from Reckless Rush or he stole it from you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it,
3: it's, I, I don't think I don't know. It's hard to say.
0: I will say uh,
1: yeah, we've been saying that since since the Hearthstone right, days, yeah, right? Yeah. Like so you're claiming it. It. <laughs> it is a uh, it is a nice philosophy for an aggressive player, which is definitely the style I tend toward. Mm. The, because a lot of the time, those control tools do do really screw you up. Right, a lot of the time you can say, "Oh, I'm I'm going to play Mycordia, and if if they play Blade Storm, I'm just going to lose this game." And but that's fine. You know, chances are good it's not in their deck in the first place.
0: Yeah, I, I will say that those are the those are the losses that I feel best with when I feel like I've fully analyzed the turn. And I recognize the, the, the high risk, but low chance, right? Like the, the high punishment, but low chance of my opponent having exactly whatever it is, uh, if I've been able to convince myself of that first. And I make the play, knowing that look, I'm an eighty percent chance to win here. You have a twenty percent chance to blow this out, but you shouldn't have it. Let's do it.
1: Right, you take your shot when it's your when it's the best probability of right. winning. And if if you lose at that point, then it, there's it's, nothing right.
0: Yeah. You, there's nothing to be upset about because I didn't pull a punch. I didn't try to do something other than the best play.
1: Yeah, and that you know, going back to what what is your decks win condition. Like you just you gotta play into the strengths of your deck. And if your deck matches up poorly against their deck, well it's you know, it's your bad luck for queuing into them in the first place.
0: Right, exactly. All right. That's going to end the main portion of this episode, which means it's time for me to remind you to contact us, preferably on our channel in the Stormbound Discord server or on Twitter at Brood Sages. You can always email us at thebroodsages at gmail.com. We also have an additional way for you to reach out and support us. We have a Gumroad account where you can become patrons of our work. Check out the link on Stormbound Kitty. This week, we've heard from the inventor of the moon. Which, by the way, thank you very much for the moon. It's great. 10 out of 10. Uh, great episode. There was a little bit of difference between Freeloader and Subaiku, uh, during the second part of the podcast, but nothing annoying. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks. We, we, uh, we had some... Audio technical difficulties. Hopefully we've got those under uh repair at this point.
1: Almost certainly not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ubermensch says I arrived at Diamond with actually not a single level five in my deck. And I can say with zero hesitation, Rogue Sheep is the worst power creep I ever saw. The strongest just got stronger with it. Hated it. Great podcast as always. Uh Uber, we're gonna have to agree to disagree. I actually really like the card. <laughs> it
1: is it is fun. I I do see a lot of complaints about the power level, although a lot fewer this month after the rework. Um, It's still just a lot of fun to play. Sorry. Sorry, Debna. Uh,
0: And uh, that's going to do it for this episode. For Sabaiku and Thomas, I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages reminding you to stay hydrated.